Hi, and welcome to episode 18 of Five Minutes of Rum. Notes on rum, a few minutes at a time. My name is Kevin Updegrove. In this episode, I'll take a look at a rum that's distilled here in the United States, Montagna Platino. I'll also briefly mention bitters and take on the man with the golden rum. And I want to take a moment to say thank you for the feedback I've received since the last two episodes, including a new review that's up on iTunes. Um, I'm trying to get back uh, into a more regular cadence with episodes and not go you know, down to a monthly schedule because there's way too many rums on the shelf for that. Uh, so again, this this featured rum in this episode, Montagna Platino, um, about a little bit about the distillery first. Again, it's a, a U.S.-based product or a U.S. product based in Colorado. The distillery itself, the Montagna Distillery, was founded in 2008. Um, I believe I first became aware of their line of rums in 2011 when I saw a bottle of it in BevMo. Um, at the time, I didn't purchase any bottles and hadn't tried any of their rum. Um, and then that changed at the 2012 Tiki Oasis um, in San Diego in August of 2012, uh, which I'll discuss a little bit more in a bit. Um, by 2011, according to the, what I've read online, the company had grown successful enough that they had moved to a larger location still in Colorado, but to their current location in uh, Crest Butte, I believe. Um, they also serve cocktails in their tasting room and do tours of the facility. So clearly they've had a bit of a, a bit of success and, and um, through, you know, doing well with their rum have really opened up to a larger location and, and increased their presence in the market. Um, one thing I learned that when I was in Hawaii and I went through the uh, Kaloa tasting room and Kaloa is a rum that we'll get to in a future episode, but um, I learned that states have very widely varying rules on how spirits and tasting rooms can operate at a distillery, especially when you compare it to how tasting rooms operate for wine and beer and how those are governed. Um, in any case, it sounds like Montagna has whatever permits they need to not only feature their rums, um, but also serve um, serve them in a large number of custom craft cocktails in their tasting room. So I imagine if I were to get to Colorado, um, this would probably be pretty high on my list to go visit their distillery. Montagna itself is Spanish for mountain, um, and that name holds part of the key to how the distillery came to be. Um, in an interview with one of the co-founders of the distillery, Karen Hoskin, she mentioned that on a trip to Belize and Guatemala, a, a trip to Belize and Guatemala led to a discovery of how the Zacapa distillery uses elevation to their advantage when it comes to aging rum. Um, and from that seed, the Montagna distillery was born. Uh, the full interview is linked in the show notes uh, if you want to go read that. It's not in terribly long, but it is pretty interesting to, to look and see how somebody got started in this business. Um, the types of rums they produce, um, Montagna produces two types of rums. The Platino, which I'm talking about today, which is Spanish for platinum, and the Oro, which is Spanish for gold. Uh, they use very limited ingredients to make their rum. They use Hawaiian cane sugar mixed with local Colorado spring water. Um, of course, they use yeast to ferment the, um, the mash that they create with the water and the sugar cane mixture. And then both rums are aged in whiskey barrels after distilling. Um, they're distilled in a copper pot still. Um, and I've linked to a really interesting video on YouTube that talks a little bit more about their distillation process. Um, it's from their old facility, but from what I've read, the still itself remains the same and so does the process that they follow. So if you're not too familiar with distillation in general, I would encourage you to check it out. It's like a five minute video and it's really interesting um, to see you know, what the process is, or the really humble process of go that goes into making small batch spirits. Um, you know, distillation is kind of the same overall general chemistry that you know from the big distilleries down to the little ones but seeing how a you know a craft batch distillery does it um is really eye-opening in terms of 
how how small how something so small can produce something so interesting and so unique. Um, the they boast that the only other ingredient that they use in their rum is a bit of Colorado honey that they caramelize um, rather than adding caramelized molasses, and then they age that anywhere from six weeks to eighteen months um, inside oak barrels. And like Zacapa, the elevation of Colorado helps accelerate the aging process, just like it does in the Caribbean and Central America. So um, the way the temperature fluctuates. Um, in that region, plus the elevation lends to, you know, a big um, going into the barrel, pulling out of the barrel, going in the barrel, and really accelerates all that aging that happens inside the barrel. Now, specifically about the Platino rum, uh, it's bottled at 80 proof for 40% alcohol by volume. Again, it's barrel aged like the Oro, and I'll talk about the Oro in another show with a different cocktail. Um, And in fact, the barrels that house the Oro rum are reused for the Platino. Um, Once it's done aging, the Platino is filtered to remove the color that was achieved from the barrel. This will not only just not only change the color, but also changes some of the flavor characteristics of what you taste in the finished rum. Um, You get the benefit of aging, and honestly, a clear spirit is sometimes important for the look of particular cocktails. Uh, We like to think of taste being everything and and being paramount, but when when you're creating cocktails, you know a good deal of it is not just how it tastes, but also how it smells, which is why the garnish is important. And also how it looks um, that, you know, influences how people feel about a cocktail. So, you know, sometimes you need a clear spirit to achieve the look that you're going for. The rum tends to run anywhere from $28 to $31 a bottle in the store. Um, And the distillery has distribution, according to their website, in 38 states. So if you're in the U.S., you have a good shot at finding it. Um, Internationally, I'm not sure how far they reach, but their website says that they do have overseas distribution. So uh, notes on tasting this rum. Um, first of all, in, in terms of appearance, um, it's exactly what you'd expect from a white rum. It's clear and colorless. Um, and if you didn't smell it in the glass, you may think it's water that's there in your glass. Uh, though in terms of aroma, uh, there is a, a you know a real mellowness when you smell it in the glass. And then even on a deep inhale, there's no burning of the nostrils or any of that sort of alcohol astringency that you get. Now, when you swirl it around in the glass and expose it to a little bit more air, you wake up a little bit more of that alcohol smell. So there's still not a burn, but now you you know distinctly can tell that there's alcohol in your glass. Um, buried a little bit deeper, um, probably a little bit of vanilla. Um, there's also another scent that I'm not quite placing, but it might be a hint of coconut um, back you know in the deep recesses of the aroma of this rum. In terms of taste, um, I get a little bit more of the vanilla taste, but it's not a sweet vanilla. So it's not the vanilla you would think of in terms of a spiced rum. A lot of times if you think of spiced rum, you're thinking of something sugary and vanilla or even, you know, not even a, a true necessarily spiced rum, but a rum that tastes spiced like the Zaya from episode 16. Um, it's not that type of vanilla. It's a definitely dry um, vanilla, almost like a, a baked or a cooked vanilla. Um, there's a little bit of a touch of heat maybe a little bit of pepper or something else attributing to that heat. Um, and the filtration removes the wood that you typically get from a barrel-aged rum, the wood notes that you typically get from a barrel-aged rum. In the notes I read, um, Ed Hamilton from the Ministry of Rum noted some oak when he was tasting it, um, and his palate, frankly, is much more advanced. And so if he says it's there, I'm inclined to believe it. I just didn't pick that up. Um, it's very drinkable for a silver rum. So even though it resembles a Spanish-style rum, there's much more taste and body that's um, compared to what's typical in that category. Um, if I were to guess, I would attribute that primarily to the pot st- distillation process that they use. Um, if you compare it directly to the Don Q Crystal, which is a silver Puerto Rican rum from episode two, you'll note the differences right away, especially when you when you smell it, because the Don Q is a much stronger alcohol smell. It doesn't have the mellowness that you got from the oak um, aging. 
and just in terms of taste, very different taste where the Don Q is quick and, and, uh, and crisp and where, uh, this one here, the, the Platino Montagna Platino, um, tends to linger a little bit and has just a little bit more warmth. In terms of finish, it seemed like it finished quickly at first, um, but then had a, a really mellow fade that kind of lingered in the back of the throat. So overall, I think it had a longer finish than I originally gave it credit for. It's just it was um, not as assertive as, as something that's a little bit higher proof, and so it's not as noticeable until you kind of realize, oh, hey, that's still there. Um, summary, this, is, this rum is clearly a willing partner when it comes to mixing, and it's unlike what you might expect from a non-agricole silver or white rum. Um, surprisingly drinkable neat. Um, I definitely would not substitute it in for a recipe that called for a generic light Puerto Rican rum. I would actually build cocktails for this rum specifically. Um, and once in a while, I'd probably pour a serving neat and enjoy it that way. Now, real briefly, I want to touch on bitters um, only because I'm going to use, I, you know, I've used them in cocktails before and I'm going to use it in today's cocktail. And it's probably worth mentioning just as a high level overview, what the heck is bitters or what the heck are bitters? Um, and then in future episodes, we can go a little bit more into different styles and um, what makes them tick, so to speak. Um, bitters are essentially botanical matter such as bark and roots that are combined with alcohol that's used as an additive to cocktails, though in its earliest form, bitters were more medicinal in nature and often used to help with digestion. Um, think of it as a holdover from the apothecary days of yore, if you will. Um, they're very strong in flavor and used in very small amounts in cocktails. There is a category specifically of digestive bitters that's focused more on aperitifs, such as uh, Aperol and Fernet Branca. But in this case, when I'm when I'm talking about bitters, I'm referring to cocktail bitters. Um, and it used to be, you know, not too long ago, if you said bitters in a cocktail recipe, that was really shorthand for saying Angostura bitters. They were kind of the only game in town. However, in recent years, um, as the craft cocktail movement has um, led a lot of people to tinker and experiment. Uh, they've extended that experimentation to different types of bitters. Um, and now there's there's an overall, more of an overall awareness that there are different types of bitters to use. People are making their own um, and there's different flavors available and people are experimenting with them. Um, in this case, in today's cocktail, I'm using Fee Brothers bitters. Um, Fees isn't what I would consider a craft small batch bitters, uh, but I think people are more keen to branch out and try different styles and Fees happens to have some, you know, quite a, quite a line of different style of bitters. Um, you know, there's a link to fees in the show notes. Um, I'll mention a couple of the types of bitters that they have here. Um, what we're going to use in today's cocktail is their old fashioned bitters, but some of the other ones that I have on hand are mint bitters, lemon bitters, grapefruit bitters, which incidentally are an interesting touch to add to a Navy grog. Um, Aztec chocolate bitters, which I've used in a cocktail before called the bitter sting, which maybe we'll talk about in a future episode. Um, and they have some other ones I haven't tried, such as celery bitters, cranberry bitters, and rhubarb bitters. Um, you know, bitters are an interesting thing to play with. Not all of them work in all applications, but when you find the touch or two that that um, that work in a cocktail, it really adds a, a real good dimension to a cocktail. Um, the one in, again, the one in today's cocktail is an old-fashioned aromatic bitter, so it's going to be Fee Brothers' version of Angostura bitters. Um, it's close to that style, but they're not interchangeable. If you if you taste them. One after the other, you'll notice they're not interchangeable. And if you put them in a cocktail, you'll notice that they're not interchangeable. Um, and it's you know a little surprising when you first start to use bitters that for something that you use so little of, uh, the difference that bitters makes can sometimes be very immense. In terms of making your own, that's definitely a topic uh, for a future show. Um, I've never actually tried to make my own bitters, but I think I would add a yet to that sentence. 
uh, because it's something I definitely plan to try um, sometime in the future. All right, the cocktail for this episode is called The Man with the Golden Rum. Uh, this cocktail actually didn't have a title for a little while, um, and the origin of this cocktail is from Tiki Oasis 0012 uh, from 2012 and Martin Kate's CSI Cocktail 2 seminar. So um, every year at Tiki Oasis, Martin Kate of Smuggler's Cove, uh, Forbidden Island, and other cocktail endeavor uh, and other cocktail fame um, he does a seminar at Tiki Oasis that covers um, some, and, and I've talked about this before, talks about some particular cocktail topic, whether it's how to make a daiquiri, um, the importance of punch, or um, in a couple of years, he's done something called CSI cocktail. The first CSI um, was trying to decipher a cocktail by breaking down the ingredients that were in it. Um, the conceit of co CSI cocktail two was that um, the cocktail craft cocktail world had um, been disrupted and fern bars uh, of the 70s, which were those uh, hangouts like the Regal Beagle from Three's Company, had kind of taken over and broken the, the line of delicious cocktails from the past. Um, and the idea was that at each table, um, you, the table members had to concoct a cocktail that was somehow going to break the spell um, and take off, you know, revert the history that had occurred when, when fern bars had taken over the world. So um, there's photos of what the table looked like up in the show notes, but essentially there was 20 to 25 tables in a ballroom, 10 people at a table. And then everybody sat around this round table that was covered in a tablecloth, um, in the center with, um, essentially what you couldn't tell at the time, which were essentially, you know, 12 bottles of different types of booze and mixers. Um, and then they, you know, once the reveal was there and the instructions were provided, um, you saw the different ingredients that were, that were there. You also were able to bring in juices and syrups and stuff. And in essence, um, you had to assemble a cocktail that was going to break the spell of the fern bar. And each table sent a representative cocktail up, and then one of them would be chosen the winner. Um, and then everybody would break the spell of the fern bar. There would be no more Galliano, and everybody would be happy. Um, so at the table that I was sitting at, um, and, incessed, and you know, I kind of assessed the ingredients that were there because they gave you a wide variety of things. Um, and one of the keys, obviously, would not be to use everything that you have in front of you. But... In assessing the ingredients that I saw, um, I knew that I had most of the things in front of me that I'd used in another cocktail um, that I'll cover in a future episode. So what I did in that case was pulled those ingredients and those juices out, mixed it up, and then the gracious people at the table had tasted and liked it, and so we submitted that cocktail. Now, it turned out that that, that cocktail won, um, in what, and in what can only be considered an appropriate award, the entire table got uh you know, everybody at the table, all 10 people got one of two different types of bottles of nice rum. Uh, one was Brugal 1888 and the other one was Mount Gay 1703. Um, and even better, since my wife was at the table, we ended up getting one of each. Um, and it was, you know, a pretty big thrill for me personally when I heard, you know, when they, when they announced the winner, um, they essentially read off the ingredient list and read off the, the instructions for the cocktail, which you had to provide with your cocktail. Um, and hearing after the first two or three things that it was the one that I had submitted um, made me alternately very nervous and very excited at the same time. It was a uh, simultaneously mortifying and exciting experience. Um, so the recipe here, all the ingredients that were at the present at the table were present be because of sponsorships. Uh, but like I said, there were a lot to choose from. Um, and this wasn't so much a way to get a cocktail from a specific spirit. It wasn't as though, hey, you know, Montagna or somebody is sponsoring this. And so you need to make a Montagna cocktail. It was, you had a lot of choice and what can you pull together from your available options that makes something, um, 
that is going to be good and doesn't use every one of those single available options. Um, as another aside, there was a bottle of Ron Zacapa 23 at every table. Um, I can assure you that that bottle was opened and uh, neat pours of that were given out to the table, but in no way were we going to consider putting that inside of our cocktail. And so the recipe itself, again, I don't think it had a name at the time. We kind of fumbled with the name a little bit. It went through, uh, at one point it was called the Fern Killer, but because the theme of Tiki Oasis 12 was a spy theme, the man with the golden rum seemed to be all, you know, seemed to be all encompassing for the cocktail. It is one ounce of Montagna Platino, one ounce of Appleton VX rum featured in episode six, three quarter ounce of fresh and only fresh lime juice, one half ounce of white grapefruit juice, fresh if you have it available. Um, in today's cocktail, I did have it available, but if it's not, uh, just choose some white um, grapefruit juice that's unsweetened. One half ounce of simple syrup, one half ounce of apricot brandy. Um, in the case of our table, we had bowls available, which I've used, and that's fine. Um, if you have the opportunity to buy a bottle of Marie Brizard, uh, their apricot brandy or apricot liqueur, I strongly recommend getting that. That is a fantastic apricot brandy, in my opinion. And then a dash of Fee's Old Fashioned Aromatic Bitters. Um, combine all of that with ice cubes and pour unstrained into a double Old Fashioned glass or a tiki mug. At the seminar, I didn't garnish it because garnish wasn't something that we had, uh, but a sprig of fresh mint would not be unwelcome in this cocktail. Um, so now I have one here. I'm going to go ahead and taste it. And of course, it's not the first time tasting it. Um, so I do like it. There's a strong element of sour. You notice that in the recipe, you know, there's over an ounce of fresh citrus juice, a couple of ounces of rum, a little bit of simple syrup, but really doesn't, you know, in the apricot brandy, but that doesn't really counterbalance the the sour of the citrus. So definitely not a sweet drink. It's a, a bit of a, a Dawn style drink or a grog style drink. Um, I'd be very careful with the Fee's Old Fashioned uh, Aromatic Bitters. A little of that goes a long way. Um, you know, it's quite common when it comes to bitters to say a dash. I would say even with the, the Fee's, you might just want to use a couple drops of it. You will taste it. Um, and if you use too much, it's going to overpower and cause your drink to go unbalanced. But overall, I think this is a, um, a good cocktail, especially for those that like, you know, sort of things that err a little bit on the bitter side as opposed to a little bit on the sweet side. And I think it makes good use of the rums, both the Montagna Platino and the Appleton VX pair well together. They're both quality rums. Um, and it's a, you know, an, you know, a, a good fairly easy drinking, whether that's good or bad is debatable, but it's a fairly easy drinking uh, grog style cocktail. So that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Show links are up on the five minutes of rum website. That's number five minutes of rum.com. The show is also on iTunes as five minutes of rum on iTunes. You can subscribe there, rate the show, even leave a review again. Thank you for the latest person that left a review on iTunes. It really does help helps get the uh, rankings up. So other people get exposed to the show show is also on Twitter as at five minutes of rum. That's the at symbol number five minutes of rum, um, either via the website or Twitter. You can send in comments, corrections, feedback, or requests. Um, and now go get some rum. <laughs>